0: Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website laganvalleyvineyard.com. You're so welcome. Uh, If you're joining us online, it's great to have you with us. This is probably borderline too much information, but I did shave in the shower this morning and it was all steamy and I couldn't see, so uh, this is not on purpose. I came in here and Chris was like, what's the moustache? I said, what moustache? I just hadn't looked at myself in the mirror yet. I promise it'll be gone. Don't be scared uh, by next Sunday. Um, Before we jump into the scriptures this morning, I just want to talk briefly about a couple of things. First of all, encounter on Wednesday night. Um, Dennis Bournes, a good friend of ours, is going to be with us. And uh, Dennis leads a church in Phoenix. Uh, he's been uh, in and out of this community for the last 10 years. And I've asked Dennis to come and sort of teach into something very specific this Wednesday night. So you'll know if you're a part of this community, quite often at the end of our service, we'll have some worship and a time of response. And depending on the weather, your mood, sometimes that response is is quite busy up here, and sometimes it's the total opposite. And uh, one of the things that happens all the time to me is I'll say something, for example, at the end of a gathering, like, maybe we feel like there's somebody here, and you've got a pain in your uh, right elbow, and we think God maybe wants to heal that for you, and I would love you to just come up. One of us would love to pray for you, and that would be wonderful. And what happens all the time is I get a text message, usually around Tuesday, from somebody, saying, hey, Andy, I just want to encourage you. Like, my right elbow was really sore on on Sunday, but, you know, I didn't come forward or anything, but, you know. And uh, usually I text back. That's really not encouraging. Um, I'm only joking. I don't text back at all. Um, Just ignore those messages. Um, And uh, so one of the things we've asked Dennis to do on Wednesday night is sort of teach into why response is important. Because the reality is God is as available to you in your chair, in your car, in your home as he is up here. There's nothing magic up here. But you'll hear us say this all the time that when we invite our kids to hold their hands out while we pray for them is really what we, what we say to our kids is we're just asking you to say with your body what you're saying with your heart. And when we invite you to respond, what's really interesting is there is a dynamic of God is speaking to me now, and I need to respond now. It's not magic. It's just a physical embodiment of what's happening in our spirits. And if we never make it to the embodied response Whether that is walking to the front of church, or walking across the office, or picking up the phone to somebody that you feel like God is speaking to you about, then our faith exists only in our heads, and that was never God's idea. His idea is that the life of Jesus would actually be alive in our bodies And that's why one of the worst things you can ever do as a follower of Jesus when someone tells you about something awful that's going on in their lives is to say, I'll be praying for you. That's not God's idea. God's idea is that you would say, can I pray for you? I remember praying for a friend in uh, the Eurospar one time, and um, she was totally taken aback shared this horrendous horrific situation and I said to her can I can I pray for you and uh, she said yeah I'd love that thanks and she went to walk off and I went no 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 <laughs> sorry <laughs> I mean like right now right right here our faith is supposed to be embodied and it's one of the reasons why we do response the way we do it but it's so much more than that anyway I've just given you what Dennis is going to say on Wednesday so you don't need to come now I'm only joking. Um, Dennis is going to unpack that more for us on Wednesday night. We'd love you to, to join with us as, as we do that. And then just to say for NUA, we, we do need people to uh, volunteer in all kinds of ways from uh, kids and youth to site security and all that sort of stuff. Please don't buy a NUA ticket if you plan on volunteering. Sign up to volunteer, then you'll be sent a discount code, then you can buy your ticket. It's an administrative nightmare for Laura Laverty if you buy your ticket and then sign up to volunteer because she has to then go and try and refund your money and all that sort of stuff. So uh, we'd love you to volunteer now as well. Help us make this thing possible, but uh, apply to volunteer before you get your ticket. Uh, And then last thing to say is Sunday morning, we will be at NU, we won't be here um, so you will need a ticket for that, but it's free. So if you can't make the rest of the weekend, but you know you wanna be with us on Sunday, we'll be celebrating with churches across Ireland, in the field in Newcastle, big church picnic afterwards. You do need to register for that and you can do that today as well. So uh, if you can't make the rest of the weekend, but you plan to be with us on Sunday, please register for that. Wonderful, that's all very clear, right? I give up. You're like, I don't know what you were talking about, Andy. I checked out when you started saying things about the summer. Get your tickets for new. That's the headline. So we are jumping into... Um Our Lent series, our Habits of the Home, Uh, if you've been going through the little books that Dana pulled together for us, uh, you will be being blessed. We're loving this as a family, actually. Our kids have kind of bought into it, which shocked us both completely. Um, But our family devotions, we're going through the Habits of the Home stuff, and uh, we really hope that you are um, as well. Really important, just before we dive into this today, to remind you that fasting is pointless unless it's on to something. Like, I mean, well, it's probably not pointless. You might feel better about yourself if you manage to take six weeks off chocolate. Um, But that's not really going to change your life. Um fasting is supposed to be on to something that we we fast something trivial like chocolate so that we can focus or feast on something much more meaningful so that when we fast chocolate every time we get offered chocolate or every time we have an urge to go and eat chocolate we're reminded that oh I'm fasting that right now so that I can feast on the presence of God that's, that's the point. We're not supposed to just endure six weeks of uh, misery so that we can feel better about ourselves. We fast so that we can feast. And the question is, what are you feasting on at the moment? This week, uh, as a community, we are fasting discontentment so that we can feast on gratitude. We're going to fast discontentment so that we can feast on gratitude. We're gonna be in a number of scriptures today. We're gonna to jump a little bit around. Um, Psalm 23, uh, 2 Thessalonians, and I think somewhere in the Gospels. I hope somewhere in the Gospels maybe. Um, we'll find out later. But, um, so I'm not gonna get you to open, open up today. You can just follow me through as, as we go. But the word discontentment, it literally means a lack of satisfaction with your possessions, status, or situation. A lack of satisfaction with your possessions, status, or situation. My sense is that for many of us, certainly for the culture that we live in, the absence of satisfaction is perhaps at epidemic levels. Satisfaction is elusive, mythical even. The reality is our entire economy is dependent upon, or at least an awful lot of it, is dependent upon an idea that you don't have enough. That idea is a multi, or the proliferation of that idea is a multi-billion pound industry. How do we get to convince people that they need what I'm selling? I wonder, this is a little bit heavy, I should just maybe (laughs) give a disclaimer on that, I didn't in the 9.30, and then I got up after the video and everyone was like, Um, but I wonder how many of you have come across Dove's Self-Esteem Project, just wave at me, there's a couple of you. All of you who are very attentive to your personal skincare care regimes. Um, there's quite a lot of guys actually in the 930 We're all over the Dove uh, Self-Esteem Project. Um, my wife would say that all the time. Men need moisturizer too, you know. Um, for any of you that haven't seen this, I want to show a video in just a second from uh, Dove's Self-Esteem Project that I, I think captures some of the water that we are swimming in. And this is quite focused on teenagers, but um, I I think we can all relate to some of this stuff. Um, So, Maddie, why don't you throw the video up, and I'll be back in a second. Make yourself comfortable. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, how do I wanna sit? This. I don't wanna ruin the lipstick. (laughs) Social media can be good, but it can be bad as well. In terms of her building her confidence, it can build her confidence. Margie is just trying to find herself now, you know. She's not influenced by social media yet. Most of the influencers that I've seen have definitely had a positive impact on me. Hey guys, here's a beauty hack I'm obsessed with. I am so happy. Look at how cinched my waist is. Look at how flat my stomach is. It's the shortcut to flawless skin. You know that Botox doesn't just reduce wrinkles, right? Baby Botox is amazing. You're never too young to start. That is not me. There are these great powders. They stop you feeling hungry, so you can always skip breakfast and lunch. And you have to treat yourself to a chemical peel. They're a total glow up. They burn away the top layers of your skin and let new skin grow through. Hey, (gasps) Amojo. If your teeth are uneven, you can always file them down with a nail file. It's literally so simple. Find your teeth. Don't put up with your thin lips, sweetie. Lip filler kits let you inject yourself at home. No, this is, this is They're guess. my total go-to. Fake eyelashes are so easy to glue on if you cut your eyelashes There's off. There's some really great pills you can use. Keep telling yourself you're not hungry, you're just thirsty. Never look bloated again. We'll get into your skin. Sexy as lashes. Botox. Remember, skinny is never finished. It's... Have you actually seen stuff like that? Yeah, a lot. (laughs) This stuff is on every girl's feed. They're watching, right? I mean, at night (laughs) when I can't see them. It's scary to me that my kids are watching this and they think that's how they have to look. I saw one of the teeth smiling videos. I remember that one. I remember seeing that all over. I know this stuff. I can't prevent them from seeing these, but I can talk to them about it. 100% always be talking and have Peyton know that she can always ask me anything. My mom has taught me not to listen to people like that and to be proud of who I am. First of all, well done, Dove. I think we, particularly people like me on platforms like this, have a go at huge corporations quite often. Um, But, um, yeah, the the stuff that they're speaking into there is hugely, hugely important. But maybe the question is, uh, where in your life right now are you discontent? Which parts of your own story or journey or appearance or life do you feel discontent with? Most of the messages we receive via media have a version of the same idea that we see highlighted in this video, that you don't have enough, that you are not enough that you're lacking, you're missing something, if you could just X or Y, then everything would be so much better. Is being satisfied even possible? Is it possible for us to go through our days and weeks with a sense of satisfaction in our souls. There's a a wily old farmer that lives near me, and he's certainly not what you would call an educated man. And yet, he is the incarnation of what I think Jesus was talking about when he said, we are to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. He's almost a cartoon character in my kids' minds, especially my boys, because on the one hand, he's incredibly unpredictable and his uh, language is not what I would love the lads to be around, and they run quickly to tell his wife whenever he swears about them (laughs) or around them in, in the yard, and yet he is full of compassion and care and concern lobbing Haribo bags full of sweets out of his car as he drives past. Um, And one glorious summer evening, I called with him last summer, and we were out in his yard having a conversation, and conversations always with this uh, friend have a very similar format. We'll talk about the price of lamb at market, or what's going on with his own livestock or animals, or um, often we'll talk about a farm nearby that's up for sale. And at some point in the conversation, he always asks a question that never feels like it's addressed to me. It's always addressed to like an invisible person who I'm here and we're talking this way. And then we'll get to a point in the conversation and he'll turn to the invisible man and he'll ask this question. But how much... How much does a man really need? How much does a man really need? My friend inhabits a sense of contentment that makes him an absolute delight to be around. Rarely in a hurry. Never really a sense of lack. And yet a pretty humble Existence. How much does a man need? What would it take for you to be soul satisfied? What would it take for you to inhabit that unhurried inner life? It's not about. It was just thing that happened a wee while ago with a particular Christian speaker and author about like basically the enemy of our lives is hurry. And there's some truth in that, but I, like, in global terms, Northern Ireland is not the most hurried place. <laughs> I used to live in a city called Los Angeles. It's like We are all on the go slow compared to some of those places. But what's way more important is our, the pace of our inner lives. It's not about how full our schedule is necessarily. What's the pace of your inner life? What would it take for that space and place to be satisfied, deeply satisfied? Have you ever had a day that got away from you and you end up skipping lunch? And the further into the afternoon you get, the more aware of your hunger you become. And you get home, you open the door, the smell of dinner already being cooked hits your nostrils. You hang your coat up, you make it to the table, you kind of sit down and then dinner just appears right there in front of you. Me neither, but we can all live in hope, right? <laughs> the feeling of being satisfied, that cold drink of water when you feel like you're dying of thirst, is almost sacred. That sense of that was exactly what I needed. It's like, a, it's like a coming home for a moment. What if our souls could live in that space? What would that be like? What difference would that make to our families and our communities and our society? There's a story told about John D. Rockefeller. He was the first American billionaire And the story goes that a reporter once asked him, John, how much money is enough? To which he replied, just a little bit more. Like, what can you do with 100 million that you can't do with 50? And yet, this man who, I don't want to have a dig at him because his charitable work and philanthropic lifestyle changed the lives of so, so many. But you can't help but think that the blessing that flowed out of his life came from the curse of something in his inner life. Of just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Psalm 23, one of the most famous texts in the entire Scripture, begins, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. One of the challenges for us as followers of Jesus is that far too often we are living a life that our, our lives betray. You say we believe these things, but actually if we pay attention to our lives, or unfortunately, maybe sadly more importantly, when people around us pay attention to our lives, they go, well, this doesn't make sense. That we proclaim in all kinds of ways and stages, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, and yet our lives are so driven by the pursuit of just a little bit more. Of just this thing, or just that thing. Verse 4 of Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. That no, no matter how bad it gets, fear and anxiety will not infect me. I, I think most of us would long for that. And yet verse 4 It's preceded by verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. That there's something about the atmosphere of abundance that's found in proximity to Jesus that delivers us from fear and anxiety. That if we can't figure out how to live in the presence of abundance, we're doomed to a life of lack. You see, sin creates in us a sense of not enoughness, An unsatisfiable desire for more. The next hit, the next distraction, the next this or the next that. I'm not really into zombie movies, right? But I feel like the kind of analogy of a zombie is in some way the perfect description of what life in the Western world can be like. So zombies, technically, according to the zombie literature, are the living dead. So they're, they're dead, but they're alive. But their existence is driven, fueled by consumption. Manic consumption. That it is in the consuming, sorry, but mostly of people, it's in the consumption of other people that the illusion of life flows in the otherwise dead body of the zombie. The perfect parable for life in the Western world, I think. The drivenness of consumption the purchase, the like, the drink, the fill-in, the blank, that gives us the endorphin hit for the moment, simulating some sense of aliveness. But once the endorphins wear off, the need for more appears more fervent than it was the first time. What if there was another way? Just imagine over this community from Hill Hall to Hillsborough, An entire body of people living out of I lack nothing. How would that change the atmosphere of our lives? Success in life, maturity is measured not in material wealth. I'm convinced of this more and more and more, but in emotional contentment. What is a successful life? What would your life look like with a deep sense of emotional contentment? Is it possible that the gospel would bear the fruit of emotional contentment in our lives and families and communities? That the sense of drivenness, of anxiety, of fear, of suspicion could be Overshadowed by, or we could be delivered from, to live in a wide open inner space of freedom and peace. Emotional contentment creates the space that our lives need to see and serve others. It's so important if we are to inhabit the dream of seeing this entire valley filled with the life of Jesus, that we don't just busy ourselves with more activity, but that we occupy a different way of life. See emotional contentment is not the ambition the absence of ambition. It's the absence of ambition pointed at yourself. That's what emotional contentment does. It says, I'm full. I'm okay. What do you need? Where selfish ambition is this drivenness to, I need this to feel okay. I need that person to think this about me. I need that thing to be in my life this year. I need that car or that holiday. I need to make that purchase. I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. And because of that, I don't know how to say, how are you? There's freedom in Christ, at least the freedom I think he cared most about, actually had nothing to do with Circumstance. It gets so interesting um, when I am in pastoral work with people who are having a circumstantially hard time and wondering what happened, what went wrong. I'm following Jesus, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm serving church, I like, try to pray for people and do all these things and life's got really hard. And usually in a gentle way, I hope, I, I try to go, what's informing how you think this works? because i don't think it's the scriptures and the story of people there who follow jesus most of them ended up in prison or murdered for their faith <laughs> and yet paul says i have learned to be content in every circumstance when i have loads when i have nothing when i'm full when i'm hungry That's the point that we would learn how to live into a different way. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Life without the undertone of anxiety or the pressure to be more or do more. I think for most of us, it sounds like wishful thinking if we're honest. A nice idea, but detached from reality how do we actually get there? Is there a way to get from here to there? Is there something that's maybe not just like, I mean, it would be awesome if we could do a like, um, response this morning that was emotional contentment, come forward, zap. I think Jesus cares more about our long-term formation and the shape of our lives than to do that for us. We believe in the now moves of God. We believe in the suddenly, we believe in supernatural healing. But there's something about our characters and the way that they're formed that actually require a stepped out, lived out, different way of doing life that produces something in our souls that will sustain us for decades. We say it all the time. How we spend our days is how we spend our lives. So how do, we, how do we get there? Is there a way to live into a deliverance from discontentment? We prayed it already this morning. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You ever read verses that you wish weren't there? Like, Dana and I have this sentence that we use with each other sometimes and we're actually working hard to not say it as much anymore, right? It goes something like this. I just need to moan about this for a minute. You ever have those conversations? And let's be honest, I think there's a degree of health in that. Not according to Paul here, though. He says, rejoice always. I haven't been brave enough yet when she says, Can I moan about this for a second to say, You need to rejoice always? (laughs) Liable to get some coffee around my face. What if we tried it? What if we tried to look for the blessings of God in our lives? Like, I I find it funny that at the end of, like, maybe the best week of your life ever, if we bumped into each other in the street and I said, How's it going? you would probably say, Not too bad. Like, if if you decided this week to be um, intentionally positive in every conversation that you're in, just watch how people start to treat you. Watch the suspicion that starts to rise in your workplace. What's going on with them? If you talked to Jim this week? Seems really happy. <laughs> like culturally, we have somehow made it okay, normal to be incredibly negative most of the time. And we're fools if we don't think that's having an effect on our souls, how we relate to Jesus and the hope that we're supposed to carry in the world. Rejoice always. Pray continually. This is so hard. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is not about the denial of hard things. I think Christian discipleship gets really weird when you're around that kind of, God's good all the time. And the world is on fire. Like, I don't know about you, that doesn't work for me. Like, I need someone to be able to say, the world's on fire. This is really hard. But here are some of the blessings that I see in my life. This isn't about the denial of the difficult, but it is about the curation of what we focus on. What our hearts and our minds and our affections get focused towards. What in your life right now is a blessing? Where in your life right now do you feel blessed? How many of you have socks on? Just wave at me. Okay, so if you're struggling to answer that question, just wiggle your toes in your shoes. (laughs) The world is full of people with no socks. That's true. I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but the point is that there are blessings in our lives, no matter how hard it gets. Gratitude is the antidote to discontentment, not a change in your circumstances. Gratitude is the antidote to discontentment. That you would be able to name things in your life, no matter how hard it gets, that you're grateful for. As you do that, and I don't mean just like on a whim, like let's do a gratitude exercise right now and all feel great about our socks. I mean like a discipline in your conversations, in your journals, in your emails that you would discipline yourself to name the things in your life that you're grateful for. Watch what happens to your soul. I don't know if you've ever been around people that just seem to be like Yodas at life. Like they've just figured it out. I've had the privilege probably of or three people in my life that I've walked with that I would put in that kind of category where I've been with them when things were really hard and and I didn't get the like pat answer but actually got to see behind the curtains of how their lives worked, how they responded to people and circumstances. There are two things that are consistent with all three of those individuals that I've known. One is that really gray hair. And the other is, they're the most grateful people I've ever known. There's Something about gratitude that enables us to live into the way of Jesus that is profound. That delivers us from the anxiety of the age we're living in of more and more and more. Of I'm not enough, I need, I need, I need. Learning to see the blessings of God in your life. Some of you I know, maybe in the room, maybe watching online are like, Andy, you just don't understand what my life is like right now. Like you have no idea how hard it is right now. And you may be right. I want to finish with a story that I lived through several years ago that changed how I view That person forever. I used to be involved in the administration of a pension fund for Ugandan widows. How that happened is a story for a whole other day, um, but that's part of what I was doing. And uh, we were involved in raising money here in Northern Ireland every year, and then it would go to these widows in Uganda. And one of the things I realized was that if for some reason, the donors for this pension fund decreased. These poor women in Uganda would have nothing. And what was, part of what was happening is the donors were aging and dying. And that was a big problem. And so I, I went with Tier Fund to Uganda to explore options. There a, a, is there a way we could move this pension fund into something that would be much more sustainable that if we did something different here in Northern Ireland or if all of a sudden the funding that we were able to raise dried up, these women wouldn't be left on their own. And we went and looked at a transformational process called PEP, PEP, participatory evaluation process, is what it stood for. It was a way, in partnership with the local church, to go into an impoverished community and see them transform. And we went to see three different types of community a community that had been running PEP for 10 years, a community that had been running it for five years, and a community that it hadn't started with yet. And the, uh, a friend from Uganda who shown us around said, Andy, I'll, I'll just give you a heads up what you'll see. The place that hasn't started will see you coming and expect you to provide things to solve their problems. Money, this, that, the other. The place that's been running PEP for five and 10 years will want to show you what they have done. And that totally proved to be true. PEP in partnership with the church help people live into a couple of realities. The first was God loves you and is with you. And the second is you have problems in one hand and God has given you in the other. And your job is to marry your problems with the resources God has given you. We went to this community, they'd been running pep for 10 years and they met a lady called Margaret. And I said, Margaret, what was your life like? before uh, you engaged in this process. And uh, we were in like a brick house with a metal roof and Margaret's running a brick building business. She had five female apprentices as she was helping them figure out how to start their own business. Uh, She was orphanage, hostel, bank, um, investor in the community. It was all happening. And I said, Margaret, what was your life like 10 years ago? And she said, 10 years ago, I lived in a mud hut with no roof. I had eight kids. Every night, I had to pick four kids to send out across the fields to try to find somewhere else to sleep, and I would pray all night that in the morning, four would return. She said, I spent my days begging, and I was able usually to get enough money to provide a small portion of peanut porridge for me and the eight children every day. That was Margaret's life. And someone told her the church was running this thing that was going to help them figure out how to change their lives. And so she came and they started talking, God loves you, God's with you. And she's like, I don't feel like it. And you've got problems on one hand and resources on the other. And she said, When they said that, I said, No, no, you don't understand. I have nothing. And they said, no, that can't be true. Uh, You're supposed to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So how can you be that if you've got absolutely nothing? What has God put in your hands? And she said, I have a mud hut with no roof and eight miles to feed. I have nothing. And this conversation went back and forward and back and forward and back and forward. And she got very irate. And she said to me, I was ready to leave. And then I said, well, I have a cracked dusty pot in the corner. But what good is that? It was her only possession in life was this sort of cracked pot in the corner of her wee mud hut, and the facilitator said, "Well, you tell me, what use is that?" And she was like, well, "It's useless. It doesn't even hold water, and I fill it up, it slowly leaks out." And they went round <laughs> proverbial houses for ages in this, and eventually she was like, "Well, I guess I could maybe go and fill it up." And so on a Thursday evening, she would take her cracked pot to the well. She would bring it home. And she'd leave it in the, the, her little house overnight. And Friday was the uh, market in the village. And she would take her little crack pot. It was full the night before. It was now about half full by the time she got to market because of the crack in it. And she would start to sell chilled water to people at market. And over time, the chilled water sales were enabled her to buy a non-cracked pot. So she could sell more water. And you get where it's going. Ten years later, brick house, tin roof... Bank, tech, place, the whole kind of deal. And I'm sitting there going, how, how, how do you get there? How many of us spend our lives with the narrative of, I have nothing? And for you, it might be something like a cracked pot in the corner that looks absolutely useless. But learning how to see that and be grateful for that can be the door that you need to walk through into the rest of your life. What is in your hands? When we started this community, we used to tell the story from Mark 6 all the time, with the feeding of the 5,000. People have been gathered around Jesus all day listening to him. And the disciples come and they're like, people are starving. Send them to get something to eat. And he responds and says, you give them something to eat. And they're like, you're mad. That would take half a year's wages for bread. And he says, what have you got? And they find a little boy who gives them some fish and some loaves. And the, the text is really specific. It says that Jesus takes the bread, lifts it up and gives thanks for it, breaks it and starts to give it away. You can miss this so easily that Jesus is grateful for what doesn't seem enough to solve the problem. And in the context of gratitude, the miracle happens. That far too often we look at what's in our hands and we go, this isn't enough. And therefore we're stuck. But it's whenever we learn to see what's in our hands and say, thank you, God, for this that it becomes enough for us, for our families, and for our whole community. And so my question to you this afternoon is, what is in your hands that you've been dismissing that you need to be grateful for? Gratitude is the antidote to discontentment. Alex, come on up. As we come to worship, I would love you to reflect a little bit on that question. What is it in your life that you need to be grateful for right now? What would it take for you to find yourself in a place this afternoon to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing if you're able to stand as we come to worship let me read this over us psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd i lack nothing he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside quiet waters he refreshes my soul And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, this moment is not about the denial of hard things. It's about gratitude for the good things. Being grateful for the things God has blessed us all with. Even if they are as humble and simple as a broken clay pot. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and reorder our lives to things that can sustain us in life, deliver us from the addiction to more, from the fear of ourselves. bring us home to you. With the confession of our hearts be the Lord is my shepherd.